Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 22nd of February 2012. For newcomers, as always, help yourself to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com where we find over a thousand audios for free download and hopefully you'll start to understand this very complicated and bewildering system you seem to be born into and you don't you find out that you're living in a planned society, a planned Really, your living is part of a script almost. Every generation is a living part of a script, a script written by the betters, ones who plan societies and the ages, as you might call it, too. Because at the top, just like any big business corporation, your governments employ thousands of think tanks to, to work on the future. It's always the future to make sure that themselves and the dominant minority that rule over governments stay in power, basically. Quite simple. And I was surprised a long time ago when I talked to a businessman who worked for a, he actually was a CEO of a corporation and he said, yeah, we, we work out investments 50 years to almost 100 years down in the, in the future. So governments are exactly the same. And they do it with uh, cultural changes for the people. Uh, they do it with depressions for the people where they scam a lot of money for big building projects across the world. And they do it in so many different ways. They give us our culture, they give us everything that has to be in place for that type of society for that particular time. And that's what we live through. So help yourself to the audios. You'll find out the big players who gave us our present culture, most of them dead now, but they actually gave us our present culture, even the changes we're going now in the cultures. And, uh, and you'll find that that's how the world is really, really run. Now, you can also keep me going by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com because I don't bring on advertisers as guests and uh, I don't have shares in any companies or any products being sold. So it's up to you to keep me going. You can buy the books and discs, as I say. If you go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com, you'll find out how to do it. And from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can use a personal check or an international postal money order from the post office. You can use PayPal or send cash. And across the world, you can use Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal. Once again, straight donations are really, really welcome. And what I do is really just give you uh, basically an overview of the past, because you must always tie the past into the present. The media's job is to make you live in, in today. This is today's news. doesn't mean it's true. News doesn't have to mean it's true, just new information. And, of course, um, and lots of a disinformation too. But what they do is they don't tell you that this is linked to agendas and governmental agendas and international agendas and corporate agendas. And they don't link it back to the past players who came up with the ideas sometimes 50, 60, 70 years ago. And, uh, and that's their job to make you think that politicians are just dealing with this onslaught of problems that comes daily down the pike. And they deal with it on the spot, basically, and that's why you must go into poverty and austerity. Things like that. Nothing can be further from the truth. Uh, the big players always plan ahead, as I say, big, big business plans uh, for the world. And uh, they know exactly where they're going. Nothing on a major scale happens 
on the spur of the moment. All the major wars we're going through, we even have plenty of evidence of this, in fact, with the New American Century Group, who published the whole list of countries they're going to take in, take out, I should say, across the Middle East, a whole list of them in collaboration with Israel at the time. They published the same thing in the Israeli papers, a list of countries they'd like to be taken out. And we've been doing that, and there's only a couple of, 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 two, of big ones to take out now, and that's it over for, for that area. There's other areas, of course, in the world, the far eastern side, to take on after that. So nothing happens by accident. Nothing at all happens by accident on such a massive global scale. They have spies all over the world, embedded in every government across the planet, even the small ones. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix. For years and years, the boys at the top have been yelling and yelling about the the coming uh, wars, wars to do with resources, natural resources, and how we'd be running out of them at a time when they're closing coal plants across the planet under various carbon treaties and global warming treaties, etc., Uh, Although they can still ship off the same coal if they want to to India or China or elsewhere where they're allowed to burn all all of this coal. So the whole thing is a nonsensical mess really to confuse the general public. Because you see it's you, the general public and the so-called ex-first world nations who are funding all of this of course for the United Nations. But we're also uh, the ones to go down. down. We've had it too good to sit for too long and yet to start becoming poor which they call austerity. But this article here ties in a, a different picture to it all and the coming wars, as I say, to do with, with, with the natural resources, especially uh, gas and uh, oil, etc., that they're always supposedly going to run out of, you know. But this article says, it says Israel and Levant Basin, this is a, a new geopolitical curse. It says, recent discoveries of not just significant but huge oil and gas reserves in the little explored Mediterranean Sea between Greece, Turkey, Cyprus, Israel, Syria and Lebanon suggest that the region could become literally a new Persian Gulf in terms of oil and gas riches. Well, they've known this stuff's been there for a long time because I remember reading books about it many, many years ago. They've been sitting on it for a long time. And now was the time to bring it out, you see. They're bringing it out at the time too when they're bringing in austerity and they're bankrupting all these other countries. So the big boys can get in and have it all, you see. That's part of the plan as well. But anyway, it says, as with the old Persian Gulf, discovery of hydrocarbon riches could as well uh, spell a geopolitical curse of staggering dimension. Long-standing Middle Eastern conflicts could soon be paled by new battles over rights to oil and gas resources beneath the eastern Mediterranean and the Levant Basin and Aegean Sea. Here we explore the implications of a gigantic discovery of gas and oil in offshore Israel. In a second article, we'll explore the implications of gas and oil discoveries in the Aegean between Cyprus, Syria, Turkey, Greece, and Lebanon. Interesting, too, that Tony Blair is part of that little uh, group there that they sent over, this unofficial official group. And his job is to be a go-between between the Israelis and the Palestinians and other, other groups that have been dispossessed. And uh, 
And here they're watching the Israelis taking all the oil and gas now out of the sea. Uh, it's quite interesting. The Game Changer was a dramatic uh, discovery in late 2010 of an enormous natural gas field offshore of Israel in what geologists called the Levant or Levantine Basin. In October 2010, Israel discovered the massive supergiant gas field offshore in what it said is its exclusive economic zone. So it claimed the zone right away as, as being theirs. The find is some 84 miles west of Haifi port and three miles deep. They named it Leviathan after the biblical sea monster. Three Israeli energy companies in cooperation with the Houston, Texas uh, Noble Energy announced initial estimates that the field contained 16 trillion cubic feet of gas, making it the world's biggest deep water gas find in a decade, adding more discredit to the, the peak oil theories that the planet is about to see dramatic impairment shortages of oil. So it's true, all this peak oil stuff is nonsense. There's still stacks of stuff to bring up. To put the number in perspective, that one gas field Leviathan would hold enough reserves to supply Israel's gas needs for 100 years. Energy self-sufficiency had eluded the state of Israel since its founding in 1948. Abundant oil and gas exploration had repeatedly been undertaken with meager results. Unlike its energy-rich Arab neighbors, Israel seemed out of luck. Then in 2009, Israel's exploration partner, Noble Energy, discovered the Tamar Field in the Levantine Basin, some 50 miles west of Israel, Port of Haifa, with an estimated 8.3 trillion cubic feet of highest quality natural gas. Tamar was the world's largest gas discovery in 2009. At that time, total Israel gas reserves were estimated at only 1.5 trillion cubic feet. Uh, Government estimates were that Israel's sole operating field, which is Yam Tethys, which supplied about 70% of the country's natural gas, would be depleted within three years. So now with all this stuff, things are really, really looking up. But the thing is, when you scroll down this article, which I'll put up tonight too, uh, you'll find that every other country wants in it too, because there's all this stuff to do with whose territory is it, um, who claims uh, territory to the, the sea water, etc. Israel signed nothing so far, but they've claimed it all. They didn't sign anything with the United Nations. And you've got all these other countries wanting a, a bit of the pie naturally, of course, as well. But I'm sure it's all a done deal, uh, and, and the U.S. is in there too. We know that J.P. Morgan is in there big time too, as I say, who also backs Tony Blair in his uh, various dealings with the Palestinians, Israelis, and other peoples. So it's a, it's a pretty done deal. Anyway, it says, Discovery of Leviathan by Israel in the waters offshore immediately triggered a new geopolitical conflict as Lebanon claimed that part of the gas field lay in Lebanese territorial waters in Lebanon and exclusive economic zone. Lebanon delivered maps to the United Nations to back its claim, to which Israeli Foreign Minister Lieberman retorted, we uh, won't give an inch. Uh, The fly in the Mediterranean energy soup is the fact that Israel, like the USA, has never ratified the 1982 UN Convention on Law of the Sea, dividing world subsea mineral rights. Actually, I think the Queen owns it all. I know she did that off Britain, didn't she? eh? All, All the treasures that they find that all belongs to the Queen. Because she owns it all. Hmm. Anyway, the Israeli gas wells at Leviathan are clearly within undisputed Israeli territory, as Lebanon affirms. But Lebanon believe, believes the field extends over into their subsea waters as well. The Lebanese Hezbollah claims that the Tamar gas field, which is due to begin gas deliveries by the end of this year, belongs to Lebanon. Washington has lost no time adding political gasoline to the natural gas dispute between Lebanon and Israel. 
in July 2011 as Israel prepared to submit its own proposal to the United Nations as to where the offshore demarcation line between Lebanon and Israel should run. Frederick Hoff, U.S. diplomat responsible for special affairs regarding Syria and Lebanon, told Lebanon that the Obama administration endorsed the Lebanese document, adding to the growing tensions reported since outbreak of the Arab Spring between Israel, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Obama. Netanyahu has reportedly recently urged Americans' eighth wealthiest person, his close friend Las Vegas casino billionaire Sheldon Edelson, to pour millions directly into the campaigns of Republicans, including Newt Gingrich and Mitt Romney. It represents an unprecedented direct Israeli intervention into U.S. presidential candidates' campaigns in order to try to defeat a second Obama term. New issues of control of the vast energy reserves being discovered off Israel and Lebanese, Cypriot, Turkish and Greek shores will clearly play a growing role in one of the most entangled political regions on earth. So things, it's it's amazing too, as I say, right up all the way up to Greece where they're under this massive austerity, etc. And, but they're surrounded by oil and gas. And uh, I'll tell you, the big boys don't miss a thing. I'm talking about the big corporations. Uh, you know, they have governments at their command too. And they can bring you into utter poverty and keep you in poverty while they loot everything that you have and everything that's underneath you even as well. Quite something, eh? So more wars to come, obviously. Now, as I've mentioned so many times that, you know, the U.S. is basically using um, Britain's template for a national health service uh, to model its own on. And under the United Nations, remember, agreement for health and population, etc., then uh, they say that they'll give you the minimum health. The minimal, the minimal health will be available worldwide, even if we're paying for all across the world. We can't get it here. And you'll find it ends up being basically like the Soviet system was, especially near the end, where you had to bribe the, the, the doctors to take you on. And if you had to get something done quickly, uh, something very important. And you even had to bribe the receptionist to get an appointment to see the doctors in those countries. You, you wouldn't believe it unless you'd, you'd had visited those countries. You'd even bribe the nurses in hospital to change the, the soiled sheets of your relatives. In places like Poland, where it was under communist rule. Anyway, this is what happens when you cut back and cut back and cut back and cut back, you see. Now, there's an article here about Canada. And Canada's been slashed at the bone. And I know they're going to slash it more in Ontario and British Columbia, because we've both got the same austerity measures. It's, it's amazing how each, each province now, they're coming out with austerity measures, which are all identical. So there's well seeing federal uh, uh, austerity measures. And they always go first for medical care. Especially if the IMF is involved. That's the first thing they slash. And they say here, want some fast care? Slip out medical doctor some cash. This is from the Montreal Gazette, November 27, 2010. A systemic privatization fosters black market, physician says by Charlie Fiedelman. And it's another one too. There's a whole bunch of links here. Actually, College of Physicians to Probe Bribery Report. And in Radio Canada... It also had an article on it too, uh, Montreal Gazette, and uh, all, all in the same thing about bribery. And this article here is from uh, Global Toronto. It says, investigation launched into whether Quebec doctors are taking bribes. The Quebec College of Physicians has launched an official investigation two days after the Montreal Gazette 
revealed patients in Montreal routinely bribe doctors in exchange for speedy services. And it says the College of Physicians is also pleading with patients and doctors to step forward, warning that without formal complaints about the practice, black market medicine will never be eradicated, College Secretary Vez Roberts said yesterday. The Montreal Gazette reported Saturday that patients who want to be bumped to the top of waiting lists often slip doctors' envelopes stuffed with thousands of dollars to jump the queue. Patients said they paid for preferential access to the operating room and obstetricians to show up for deliveries. One high-ranking physician who works with doctors at several Montreal hospitals says the systemic practice is an open secret. Hush-hush payments run from $5,000 to $7,000 to jump the wait list into the operating room and between $2,000 to $10,000 to guarantee an obstetrician's presence at a delivery, the physician said. One doctor even gave his answering service a list of expectant mothers who paid and those who didn't. It's not only illegal but unethical. It's totally unacceptable. Robert says you cannot overbill the patient for a service that is publicly funded. Oh, no. (laughs) I'll be back with more on this after this break. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix talking about... Uh, basically corruption in the medical system where they're paid uh, from the government via our tax cash to to treat the people and they're also taking bribes as well to bump them up the waiting lists and make sure that the right people are in operating rooms and, and that kind of thing too. And it says one doctor even gave his answering service a list of expectant mothers who paid and those who didn't. And then they go into the usual, oh, it's terrible, we're going to just fix this, etc. It says, it's not only illegal, but it's unethical, it's totally unacceptable. Robert says, you cannot overbill a patient for a service that is publicly funded. You want to bet, eh? The practice contravenes the board's code of ethics, he said. Led by the board's main investigator, Francois Gauthier, the investigation will initially target doctors at two hospitals named in the article. It's supposed to be rampant through a lot of them. Anyway, it says, meanwhile, a Quebec patient's advocacy group is pulling its 400-member user groups across the province and in the Washington investigation and so on and so on. And it says, when, their, when their, their mother got sick, Vivian Green and her twin sister, Ora Marcus, say they slipped a doctor at the Jewish General $2,000 to bump their mother to the top of the waiting list. It was a cash, a cash incentive to buy her place ahead of everyone else, Green said. But the doctor returned the envelope within days, saying the operation was beyond his expertise. That's when Green went to adopt at the Royal Victoria Hospital. He also took the money, but he never showed up for the operation, Green said. The only time bumping a patient is permitted to, to make way for a more pressing medical emergency, Robert said. That's the only reason it's accepted to make a change on a wait list, surely not for a kickback. The board is taking the allegations seriously and its investigate will take every action necessary, but it's hard to go forward without names. To do his job properly, he needs complaints by patients or colleagues. Any person who is aware of this kind of practice should, and I would say must, inform our investigator, Robert said, he can't go on a fishing trip and investigate 20,000 doctors. The investigation should be handled by the provincial police, etc., etc. Well, a lot of the ones who have paid cash want to be involved because they'll, they'll maybe get charged as well. I don't know. And it says it's very something disturbing, yada, 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 yada. So that's how you get in this kind of system, uh, bumped up to the top of the list and have the right folk in the operation room. You don't want novices there either. You want the the guys who've been doing this for a while, if you can afford it. 
Tonight I'm also putting up more on spy files to show you all the organizations and, and companies that governments and many, many other, other organizations use to spy on you. And, and it's just, it's, it's endless. It's endless, all the different programs and so on that they can use. Uh, and it's all allowed. It's all allowed because the governments, etc., the police, everybody's using these, these systems to track everything that you do in real time. And you have no privacy at all. I don't care what you're using. You have no privacy. Everything is hacked through. And they even put back doors, as we all know, into the computers as well, by law, to make sure that they can get in. So I'll put this list up for you tonight as well, the spy files. Uh, a little while ago, not too long ago, I mentioned that one of the British politicians, Nick Clegg in Britain, said that basically that, that marriage was basically obsolete, you see. And they're really pushing for all this stuff uh, to, to make it all obsolete now that they've created a welfare state with no dads in places like Britain. And now they're, they're outlawing uh, miss uh, in France, you know, because uh, um, uh, that's one of the big agendas too. You'll find that the Prime Minister of France is completely involved in all the social agendas in Britain. He's in all the think tanks that work on the social agendas in Britain. But anyway, that's Sarkozy. But, so miss, is a, you can't, can't say miss anymore. It's, it's officially banned in France. This is it's out of France now. The Office of French Prime Minister Francois Fillon said Tuesday the term would be struck from the official documents along with that of maiden name or married name for women. Just like that. Everything is fine for hundreds of years then. They just tick it off and that's it. You know, it doesn't exist anymore. The Prime Minister's office said it would be writing to all ministries, that's their political organization, and regional senior officials to ask them to ban such wording. Instead, authorities are to use the term Madame, equivalent to the male Monsieur. It says, and drop all reference to the husband's name unless it is that officially adopted by the woman. A number of women's organizations last year launched a campaign to do away with Miss in official documents, arguing that it was discriminatory to force women to state their marital status. Uh, Solidarity Minister Rosalind Bash, well, what about all your censuses and stuff? What are you going to put down in there? Because they ask all these questions. Responsible for women's rights welcomed the move, which she said ends a form of discrimination. Well, they find discrimination under any bush or whatever because they get grants for doing so and they make a lifelong career. It's official. Greece unweighs the negative salary and a whole new meaning for pay to play. And so it says here that uh, we thought we'd seen it all, but we hadn't. The country that gave the word, the alphabet, the world, the alphabet, the philosophy and um, plates with funny, sexually ambiguous drawings on them has outdone itself again because beginning this month, some Greeks will have to pay for the privilege of having a job. It says salary cutbacks called unified payroll for contract workers at the public sector is set to be finalized today. Are cuts to be valid uh, retroactively since November 2011. Expected result, up to 64,000 people will work without salary this month or even be asked to return money. Uh, Amongst them, 21,000 teachers, 13,000 municipal employees and 30,000 civil servants. So you can work a month on with salary and a month off without salary and even be asked to give money back. Needless to say, the BLS is salivating at the prospect of U.S. workers paying for a job as this will immediately allow them to double count uh, said person's role in the employed part of the labor force, which incidentally has shrunk by 1% in the time it took to write this. As the money said, worker pays can be used in the BLS hedonic models to theoretically hire many more people 
courtesy of Fractional Reserve Lending. Back after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix. Now, in Britain, if you're a peasant, uh, and most folk are peasants, um, you you generally don't have access to firearms. There's always a small group who've had them for a long, long time, maybe they were grandfathered, whatever, when laws were passed, who have a shotgun, and they, they, they go out hunting once in a, a blue moon. But it's very, very difficult to get firearms. Unless you're a crook over there, you can have anything that you want, if you know the right docks to go and buy them at. Anyway, it says here, Grandfather is now facing a jail after using his own gun to nab a robber. And it says, Neighbours are calling my hero, but the police say he was reckless and possibly deserving of jail time, just like the burglar he helped catch. Now, I've got to say something first of all. You understand, years ago they planned that the society they'd have today, post-industrial, a lot of unemployment, welfare, mums, and, and all that stuff. It's all planned years and years and years ago. And the, 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 the elites don't look at the people down below as anything near equal to themselves. I mean, you're, you're a different species to them. And they sat too with the law systems, etc. And they, they plan to have no violence whatsoever amongst the general population at the bottom. Whatever happens, skirmishes, domestic disputes, that kind of thing, that's just too bad. It's just like too many animals in a cage. That's, they actually described it like that. And whatever happens, you have to put the law across all, all of them, the same laws. So they're not allowed to defend themselves, anything else like that. And the, the police are told to arrest everybody uh, who's broken the law. So it says a 61-year-old who caught the burglar breaking into his home and a neighbor's in New Hampshire faces a felony charge after firing a single shot into the ground to scare the robber. He crash-banged out of the house right down the road here, and I happened to see him, Dennis Fleming of Farmington, told WMUR, recounting the robbery on Saturday. So I approached him with a gun, told him to stop, fired a warning shot, he said, adding that it was to the left of him and into the woods. I've owned guns my whole life, and I pretty much was sure what I was doing. He says, but because of that single shot that did get the suspect to break until the police arrived, he faces a felony charge for reckless conduct. For what little we have nowadays, and people just come and take what you got, Mr. Fleming's neighbour, David Bernardini, told WMUR, I think it was good that someone finally did something about it. And that's how everyone feels. They're so fed up being suppressed at the bottom. You can't do this, you can't do that. It's like Canada, you can stand and be legally murdered, but don't hurt the person who's doing it, you know. Uh, and it says here, well, Mr. Fleming hopes the court will feel the same way, especially as a grandfather of 14 with what he says was a previously clean record. He says he agrees it was a mistake he, he made in not calling the police first. He says, I was angry, he had made to the Fox News, and I was worried that the guy was going to come after me. Anyway, this, this particular man came home to find his, his house in 10 Rod Road burglarized with some of his own father's possessions taken during the theft. Mr. Flemington said he grabbed his gun and went to ask neighbors if they'd seen anything suspicious. And uh, looking over, he saw a man, 27-year-old Joseph Hebert, beginning to run away. And so he, he stopped him, fired a shot in the ground, etc. So anyway, the cops want to arrest him as well. To make an example, you can't do that sort of thing. Only the police are authorized to use any kind of violence, and the military, by the way. I remember reading a big article about that from the United Nations. It says it was, it was, a, it was for 
complete disarmament in a perfect world. That's what it's, I think its title was, or a, post, a post-war world. Complete disarmament. And it says eventually only police and the military will have the right to use force. No, no, none of the public will be allowed to use it, just them. Anyway, it says Hebert appeared in court by video Tuesday while on crutches, suffering what he said was a broken heel. And Mr. Fleming, who was released on personal recognition, will appear in court on March 20th. Since the, the incident, he's had all of his guns seized of seven rifles and a 30 caliber handgun, but warns any others looking for trouble that he's not unarmed. And, um, so anyway, it's just a sad thing. This is, this is, there's many articles like that over the last few years where you just can't do anything. If you yell for someone to stop, they're not going to stop. And they're making off with your, your dad's belongings to keepsakes that you've inherited. And they'll continue to rob houses and, and sell it for drugs or whatever. And you're supposed to just stand there and let them do it. You know, it's, uh, and that's what frustrates the honorary public. We are not allowed to do what, what, what is instinctive to do. Instinctive. But that's behavior modification, you see. We're supposed to be getting retrained Pavlovian style, uh, to go against our instincts. And unfortunately, with a lot of people, it actually works. In the U.S., uh, they've released now uh, genetically engineered salmon to go and sail in the, in the stores, but they're not putting any warning labels on them. And it says, genetically engineered salmon will soon be on sale across the U.S., but the consumer will never know because there won't be any warning labels on the packaging. America's Food and Drug Administration is about to approve the, the engineered salmon for human consumption, making it the first GE meat to be sold in the country's stores and supermarkets. The fish has been engineered to produce growth hormones that make it grow at twice the normal rate. But the fish won't be labeled, so consumers won't know that they're eating genetically engineered meats. And um, I guess, I think they've already been eating it in GE meat, but they just don't know it. And in, I think it's Australia, uh, there's a big article here about drone journalism, about the wonders of drone journalism, which is just another way to get drones in the sky over the public and following you and so on in case they see something happening which is newsworthy. But it'll also be, uh, rather than the police do it first to get the journalists to, to do it first, you see, then they'll use the, the, the footage from the, from, the, from the cameras and the drones. I'll put that article up tonight as well. And... <laughs> this is an interesting article. The money that's been flip-flopped across the world with, with uh, if you were to flip a, a, a few hundred or a few thousand dollars across the world, they're going to ask why you're doing this. But the banks are just doing whatever they want to, and, and there's nothing, there's no comeback on them. It says banks are benefiting from a European Central Bank subsidy that could reach 120 billion euros enough to pay every bonus at financial firms in London for the next 24 years at today's levels. The Royal Bank of Scotland's group PLC, BNP, Paribas, SA and Societe Generale, SA, are amongst more than 500 banks that took 489 billion euros of three-year loans from the Frankfurt-based ECB at a December auction. That's the European Central Bank. The loans carry, currently carry a 1% annual interest rate, less than a quarter of the 4.3% average yield on euro-denominated senior unsecured bank debt of all maturities in the past year, according to the Commerce Bank AG. 
with borrowing estimated to hit a, a, a record 1.2 trillion euros after a second auction later this month. Banks may save 120 billion euros over three years. That could boost uh, 2012 profit by about 10% for lenders in Italy and Spain, according to estimates by Morgan Stanley. That is very much a free lunch, said Arden Schaefer, an economist at West LBAG in Düsseldorf, Germany. Banks can get money for just 1% and then lend it on for much more. That's pretty good. So uh, it's just astonishing uh, that, that, uh, <laughs> that this is actually happening. Or is it? Is it astonishing at all? Not really. I suppose it's not, eh? We should be used to this kind of skullduggery. If you invest in your little deposits account at the bank, you aren't going to uh, uh, get that kind of interest back, you know. They're charging you an awful lot of cash, but they use that money that you've got in, uh, and then they, they, they flog it abroad for this to the private banks. So in a way, they're, they're doing fantastic stuff with money all over the planet, and they can do what they want, right? Now, Lord James Blackheath of Britain who has, uh, a year or two years ago, I put a link up to his video when he first came out with the fact that he worked for the city of London and that the government, uh, British government, put him in there and his job was basically to launder millions and millions of pounds of supposedly terrorist movements or groups' movements uh, across the world with the cash. That was his job, was to... Uh, monitor it, do it, and sometimes upset it. So we claimed uh, that if I find that link, if it's still up, I'll put it up again. But it came back out again uh, recently and um, with, with an update to Foundation X, as he called it. He said Foundation X was some sh- shadowy group who had masses of gold that they wanted to invest in the British country. And Lord James of Blacksmith House of Lords, February 16th, and it says, I think there are three possible conclusions that may come from it. This is transactions of $5 trillion each and a transaction of 750,000 metric tons of gold and has called for investigation. He says, I think there are three possible conclusions that may come from it. I think there may have been a massive piece of money laundering committed by a major government, he's talking about the U.S., which ought to know better and that it has effectively undermined the integrity of the British Bank uh, at the Royal Bank of Scotland in doing so. The second alternative is that a major American department has an agency that has gone rogue on it because it's been wound up and created a structure out of which they are seeking to get at least 50 billion euros as a payoff. And it's talking about corruption within the U.S. Federal Reserve. And the third possibility is that there's an extraordinary elaborate fraud which has not been carried out but which has been prepared in order to provide a threat to one government or more if they don't pay them off. So there are three possibilities, and this all needs a very urgent review. And it says, My Lords, it starts in April and May of 2009 with alleged transfer to the UK to the HSBC of uh, of a sum of $5 trillion, and seven days later, in comes another $5 trillion to HSBC, and then three weeks later, another $5 trillion, $5 trillion in each case. It says a total of $15 trillion is alleged to have been passed into the hands of HSBC for an onward transit to the Royal Bank of Scotland, and we need to look at where this came from and where the history of this money is. And I have been trying to sort out the the sequence by which this money has been created and from where it has come from for a long time. So he's up on a video, and I'll put that up tonight, and you can... Hear this for yourself. Um, he's, he's, he's quite a character. He's, he's come out before in the House of Lords, 
And when he said it, when it, the last time he came out, when he said that, that basically this secret group had approached him uh, because he knew he had dealings with the, 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 obviously the British Secret Service and the city of London and uh, they wanted to invest money. But he also said that he also, uh, he worked with so many th- terrorist groups on behalf of Britain. That's why they put him in to make sure their money went to where it was supposed to go or didn't arrive at all in some cases. And he says, when he announced this, he says, you can do whatever you want, call the police, it won't matter because I've been working with the top echelons of the British government and nothing will happen to me. That was his job. So it's intriguing and um, and the, the, the cons that the big, big banks get up to are, are really astonishing. They always have been though. And the British Columbia budget as I say, promises surplus in time for a 2013 election. I love how they word things. It gives you an upbeat. Oh, surpluses, you see. But in the meantime, you've got to go into austerity. It says the days of markets, markets tolerating government overspending are finished, said Minister Kevin Falcon. It says no one is immune to what's happening in the world today, said Mr. Falcon in a budget speech. I think that the days of markets tolerating government overspending are finished. Everyone from business owners to public sector unions to healthcare workers are to be hit by the budget, which is the first plank of the, t- the tightest three-year fiscal plans in recent British Columbian history. Although the province is slated to run a $968 million deficit for the upcoming year, Mr. Falcon promised a $154 million surplus by 2013, just in time for a provincial election. And sure, you'll see that coming, right? Overall, the provincial spending is projected to increase by only 2%, which is nonsense, uh, which Mr. Fulton credited to the province's zero-net mandate. So, regardless of what they say, the fact is you're, you're going to get austerity coming in your, in your face very, very shortly. That's what he's basically saying under all the hoopla. Then we got robbers loot an ancient Greek museum. I was waiting for that happening, because remember when Russia got looted, and the old Soviet Union got looted when the, came, when the walls came down. And uh, these ancient icons from all these big churches ended up in getting, getting uh, brokered through Israel at the time. It's not all the major media you can look up for yourself. And the same thing happened in Iraq. When the, when the soldiers were told to surround the big museum there. And no one saw a thing, apparently. But I'll tell you one thing. They must have had one crack team of troops uh, going first. Uh, as that was surrounded, because they looted the whole darn thing. And, and the best of it is Canadian television had a program before it all happened where people in, in Canada and the States and even South America, uh, certain individuals, multi-billionaires and trillionaires, their own private collections, were taking bids on the items while, while we, before we had gone into Iraq. And they got them all. Again, they were brokered through the, the, the same place. Brokerage right through the same place. So the Lutz Ancient Greek Museum, and um, it's not not terribly nice. Not terribly nice, as they say. And uh, it must be great, too, to belong to the untouchables at the top. Geithner ignores a subpoena to testify. And says the creditors' committee reporting what's left of Lehman Brothers asked bankruptcy judge James Peck last week to force Timothy Geithner uh, currently Obama's Treasury Secretary, but President of the New York Fed at the time of the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy, to answer some questions. The original subpoena issued by the committee to Geithner appeared last August and was ignored, and so the committee appealed to Judge Peck. 
The committee claims that Geithner played a pivotal role in Lehman's collapse and may have unique knowledge about a last-minute transfer of some $8 billion out of Lehman to J.P. Morgan just before the collapse. Lehman is suing J.P. Morgan in an attempt to get the money back, and Geithner's testimony is crucial. Time is running out, and the discovery period for the committee ends on March 16th. So the committee claims that J.P. Morgan did a last-second collateral grab in order to save itself while inflicting fatal damage on Lehman at the same time, and Geithner was in on it. The week before the Lehman collapse, Geithner made 35 phone calls to Lehman CEO Richard Fold and another 10 calls to J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. And at least some of those calls to the committee centred on those collateral demands. Therefore, the committee insists that Geithner should be required to reveal what those calls involved. He'll never do it. Never happen. They're above reproach, these guys, at that level. Geithner has remained silent, however. A spokesman for the Treasury Department, Anthony Coley, said he could understand what all the fuss is about. Treasury and the Fed have provided thousands of pages of documents and arranged for depositions of numerous other witnesses. Uh, in light of all that disclosure, Coley said it's unclear why the plaintiffs continue to insist on unnecessary depositions. Uh, and Geithner has been less than forthcoming on previous occasions as well. In January 2010, Representative Daniel Issa released a series of emails between American International Group AIG and the New York Fed, in which the Fed urged AIG not to disclose the full details of bailouts to various banks, which AIG insured using derivatives. So they've got all the, the stuff that they need, and this will go down the toilet, I'm sure, into the, the vast unknown like so much tends to do. And so what I'll do now is go to the callers and I think there's Daniel on uh, the UK from the line. Are you there, Daniel? Uh, yeah, hello, Alan. Hello, how are um, you? Yeah, okay, thanks. Look, Alan, um, just wanted to say one thing, um, following on from what you were saying earlier, with um, you're not allowed to defend yourself in this country, um, that Max Weber said that, didn't he? He said he defined the state as the entity with the monopoly on violence. Do you remember That's he right. said that? That's correct. Hold on and we'll talk more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix, talking to Daniel from the UK about the the monopoly over violence, basically. Are you still there, Daniel? Yeah, I'm here, Alan. Um, but you remember he, he said that, and uh, he's absolutely right. And, and that's another thing, that's what these people, characters mean when they talk about world peace. Because I used to think to myself, well, who can argue with that? Peace sounds good. But what they mean is disarming everybody around the world so yeah. nobody can fight back even if they want to. And then they turn mm-hmm. around and say, look, we've got a peaceful world because... Um, Nobody's actually capable of fighting back. Uh, that's I, right. I think that's what they mean. That's their idea of peace as far as I yeah, can yeah. see it. They actually signed a treaty at the United Nations about that uh, in, a, in a post-war world. And uh, it, it called for complete, uh, complete disarmament. That's right down to the average person. And so the only ones who can cause you bodily harm or kill you will be the crooks, the police, or the military. Yeah. Well, at what point... Um, because all these organised criminals, it's obvious that the organised crime is only here because they're allowed to operate. Because there's yeah. no way that these characters would allow any threat to their power base. So they're obviously here because they're allowed to operate. Mm-hmm. At what point do you think they will all be 
gotten rid of, or do you think they'll just be allowed to carry on indefinitely? They'll, they'll use them, they'll, they'll carry on. I see, see, there's a symbiosis. You understand, the ones who own the overworld, the, the legal world, also own the underworld. And what you can't do legally, you get the underworld to do for you, including assassinations. And so they always, and, and also too, by the way, the underworld can also get the elite a lot of stuff that's banned, a lot of substances that's banned as well, which the elite love. And, um, there's been a lot of exposés even on television uh, about uh, the, the, the princess and the gangster, for instance, that's up on YouTube uh, and how royalty were involved with, with guys who were in very shady deals. Uh, in in London, but there've also been lots of exposés to do with the London Met, the, the the cops system in London on the take from from all these different gangs and prostitution rackets, etc. So they all work together, you understand, and um, and these these gangs can also, if you want a, a, an underage virgin for some high hootspa, uh, they'll deliver it for you. You see, and it's better than that happening than you sending your 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 CID chief out to find one. Uh, if you could possibly do that in this day and age, but anyway. Cutouts and uh, plausible deniability and all that sort of stuff. Yes. So I understand. Yeah. And just one more thing. Um, I don't know if you heard, but there's a scheme over here, Tesco. They're trying to push this scheme where you get youngsters who are out of work working for free. Yes. Um, you, uh-huh. you must have heard about it. Yeah. Do you think that, just to quickly, is the start of where people will just be working for their food vouchers and nothing else? Yes. Uh, Bertrand Russell said eventually it will be a privilege to work. Yeah. A long time ago, and, and he helped design a lot of this system, and that's how they're training the public now that you, it's a privilege to work. And, um, and, but they still want a whole bunch of population who are unemployed, permanently unemployed. That is part of the agenda too. And they wrote about that back in the 50s and 60s. That's the sort of system they'd bring in. But it also gives you a dumbed down education for that period, and that's what we have today. So, as I say, it's all been engineered a long time ago. Yeah. And they could change our words as well. I mean, I'll phone up another time uh, and ask you about that, about how they, they, they control our words. You know, they take words out mm-hmm. and put words in, um, and that effectively controls how we communicate with each other, doesn't it? But um, I thank you for answering my questions, Alan. Let someone else have a chance now. So uh, have a good weekend. And you too. Actually, I, I won't have time, but, but thanks for calling. Uh, and Dave from the UK and William from Oregon, maybe you can call tomorrow and I'll try and grab you early. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.